welcome to the Space Kid Podcast, where we are bringing the galaxy to your doorstep. I'm your host, Ishan, and today I'm joined by my co-host... Rohit Jha, who's also known as your dad. Well, for this podcast, we're going to call you Rohit. That sounds good. So I wanted to start this second episode by talking about Rocket Science 101. And why Rocket Science 101? Why are rockets so important? Because rockets are one of the many keys to unlocking space. They're what we use to get into space very often. And if you want to be an astronaut, you have to learn about the rocket a lot. That's a good point, Ishan. I guess you can't think about boat travel to space or even car travel or even plane travel for that matter. I think you really need to dig into the vehicle that takes us from this wonderful planet to the galaxy. And that's probably where Rocket Science 101 comes in. So to start our lesson, I want to start by talking about the basic parts of a rocket because before we go into the hardware or anything, we just need to learn about what the basic elements of every rocket is. That sounds good. So let's start very generic. And what do you think are the main building blocks of a rocket? So a rocket is usually divided into three big parts. And three little parts? Three big parts. And little parts, or no? No. Just no big parts. parts. Okay, what are the big parts? So um, the first part is your payload. It's usually at the top of the rocket. So payload? Does it throw money at you when it bursts open? Or <laughs> why do they call it the payload? So the payload is kind of like the load um, that the rocket is carrying up. So this can consist of... A module where the crew sits in or a satellite really anything got it so they call it probably the payload because there's mm-hmm. something of great value inside yeah. of it got it and the second part of a rocket is the guidance system which is basically a part in the kind of a little bit above the center of the rocket that has all of the computers that control the flight and control the rocket's pitch and yaw and roll and basically it's the computers that are the brains of the rocket got it and this sits right kind of below the payload is that the way to think about it okay because that way the second stage can safely abort if there's something that goes wrong at the launch got it and what stage is this known as or is this just another section of the rocket so the last section of the rocket is the propulsion and fuel tanks which basically is of course like you got maybe liquid fuel solid fuel and the fuel tanks and then you have your engine which is usually you can see the engine at the bottom of the rocket as a big bell nozzle that shoots out flames got it and we'll go into how they produce dust later. Okay, so you talked about kind of three different sections, mm-hmm. main sections of the rocket. Are those yeah. the things that are called stages or is that something else? No, that's stages is something else that we'll go into later. Okay. Because I want to slowly kind of dive in, not just... Because, you know, when you're in a pool, you don't want to dive head first. Right? That's true. You got to dip a toe in the water first. Yeah. Got it. So if we think about a rocket as a pencil sitting on its eraser with a point facing the sky, the point is where the payload is. Mm-hmm. And as you move down, then you go to the, what do you call it? Guidance system. The guidance system. And then? You go down to the fuel tanks. And at the bottom of the rocket, there's the engines. Got it. Okay. All right. That sounds good. So let's go now that we that we know the fundamentals, let's go a little bit deeper into the parts of each of these parts of the rocket. Parts of the parts. I like it. Okay, let's dive in. <laughs> so I want to go from bottom to up just because that's a little easier. We're covering the bottom. So the engines, 
they will provide thrust for the rocket to get off the ground, and they can also help the rocket maneuver a lot. And so. what are we talking about these engines? Are they, you know, are they more powerful than our minivan or less powerful? <laughs> what do you think? So the rocket engines are so powerful that we can't measure the engine. We have to measure in a total new velocity. So no one uses horsepower for engines? No. Rocket engines? Now okay. it's mega newtons and newtons. Mega newtons? What is that? So mega newtons stays more for super rockets, but newtons is the newtons and mega newtons is the usual ratio for measuring dust for a rocket at liftoff. Got it. And I remember newtons. I think it's a it's a measure of force of energy. Is that what it is? Well, not exactly. It's the force of thrust. Okay, force of thrust. Got it. Okay. So um, the engines, the way they steer the rocket is called gimbal, and this is actually very important because the engines will come tilt to one side and the rocket depending on the side they tilt they tilt the rocket the whole rocket will maneuver the opposite way that the engines tilt so for example if you're trying to tilt left the rocket engines will gimbal to the right mm. the gimbal feels like it's almost like a rudder on a ship you know the thing yeah, in the back yeah. so if it moves one way the ship goes the other yeah okay so it's basically the rocket's biggest power maneuver besides fins and that kind of stuff. Interesting. And okay. dusters. So the engine itself moves and mm -hmm. it gimbals? Is that yeah. what it is? Okay. So some rockets have higher gimbal velocity than others, which basically means the engines can rotate more on their base. Okay. Quick question. Can you gimbal into a loop-de-loop -loop in the sky or no? Is that? Yeah, that's pretty possible. That's pretty possible? Like once, Probably not by design though. Well, once the guidance system short-circuited on a rocket and it did a 90-turn pitch and oh my it gosh. crashed full speed into the ground, wow. full throttle. Okay, crazy. <laughs> okay, back to parts. Yeah. So the next part I'm going to talk about is the fuel tanks, which normally consist of solid fuel or liquid fuel. Solid fuel is can also be... Um, for liquid oxygen, which is basically oxygen at a super cool, it's basically cooled to like the limit of cool. Why do they use uh, liquid oxygen versus regular oxygen? Because liquid oxygen has, regular oxygen won't burn. It's not flammable, but liquid oxygen is very flammable. Great and point. what the engines do is they kind of light sparks on it and they turn that fuel engine into fire, which is blasted out of the bottom of the rocket. Mm. In order, so then the bottom of the rocket, it accumulates thrust, and we'll talk about more in how the workspace, but let's just talk about um, some more of the functions. Got Again, it. we're not going head first. Got right? it. So we're just going to talk specifically about the parts. So you said a couple different kinds of fuel. Mm -hmm. Liquid oxygen, and what was the other one? And then there's... Um, usually hydrogen, and that's also flammable. So all very flammable gases can be used. Okay. I remember seeing, Yishan, maybe we can save this for when we actually start talking about liftoff and things, but I remember seeing when a lot of times when a rocket's taken off, it, sound, it feels like there's like clouds of smoke building around it. Are they cooling the engines down or is that cooling the Yeah, right before the rocket lifts off, there's the clouds of smoke and like, for example, SpaceX launch, because SpaceX launches, SpaceX rockets, they use liquid oxygen, which needs to be cooled to make oxygen liquid. You basically need to chill it to the limit of cold. Got it. Right? So when the hot, when the cold, so basically when you compare how cold the tanks in 
the um the Falcon Nine SpaceX rocket arm to the tanks that are to the air that's outside. The outside air is scorching. So when mm. when the um the inside coolness and the vapor meets the outside, it creates that steam, kind of like water vapor touching on a cold surface. Mm, got it. Almost like a condensation type yeah. of thing going on. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. So let's keep going. So. Talking about the guidance system, there's usually... Wait, are we done with fuel? Yeah. Okay, fuel, now we're moving to guidance. Fuel doesn't have many things to go into. But it feels like that's the, like in terms of volume and size, that's the biggest part of the rocket. Yeah, if like, we're staring at the pencil of a rocket, it's like 75% of that sucker is all fuel. Is yeah, because fuel takes up maybe more than half on average of a rocket because it's just so heavy and the rest of the rocket is basically just an aluminum skeleton or whatever material so got it but anyways moving up i want to say that the guidance system is composed out of one major principle that it has and that's to navigate the flight so when you know, you don't have control over the rocket and when it's unmanned, you have to have something that will steer the rocket for you because you can't just steer it back on Earth. It doesn't have like a steering wheel on it. Like no, a, on because, a car. No, I mean, it. technically you could, right. but the delay from, because they're not trying to use high-powered satellites like the ones that the Curiosity rover uses mm -hmm. because they don't need to and they cost a lot, but the, this result is... It takes a long time to send two signals between, I see. and delaying the steering would probably may confuse the people who are steering it on Earth and result in a crash. So it needs an onboard guidance system. And it's in this guidance system that's below the payload, as you mentioned. Is that where the astronauts are actually positioned? No, they're positioned. If they are on the flight, they are positioned in the payload area because that's where the command module is. Got it. Okay, so they're part of the payload. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good to know. You could say that. I didn't realize that. It's almost like the brains of the rocket are actually below the payload and below mm -hmm. the astronauts. Yeah. And like, for example, for the Falcon 9 and Dragon, the docking system is completely autonomous. So that means you don't need the rockets to be in there. And that's part of the guidance system doing all that work. Got it. And it's almost like an autopilot. Yeah. Okay. So the guidance system also has another function, and that is if it realizes the rocket is going off course or something seriously wrong, it will do an abort mode, a type of abort, and basically the type of the abort is, uh, it's to make the rocket explode in the air. Why would it do that? Giant. Well, it's to save it from falling on the ground in the debris, because if it's in the air, it can just explode. Aww. But I mean... There's fireballs raining down on the land. I guess it's more effective if it's actually the rocket's actually in space. Got it. But I man, that would be that's like a catastrophic. It's a flight. It's called a flight termination system. So once the rocket's off the ground, either if it has crew, well, we're not talking about the Gemini spacecraft here because the Gemini spacecraft, if it had to abort and that had crew on it. The way it aborted is if the guidance system calculated something that um, was wrong with the rocket, literally it would send the, the people out on two ejector seats with rocket engines at the bottom of oh them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and but all this brain power of aborting and what you call this abort system? mission uh, Flight termination system. All that's in the guidance system. Yeah. So this thing is a very important part of the rocket. Well, the problem is... 
we have to be able to make it super reliable because there have been endless times where the guidance system will kind of just rig up or short circuit because I mean after all it's a computer wow so it will just rig up and short circuit and it's like oh we're 90 degrees off so it just Man. turns it this has to be one of the most critical parts of the rocket and imagine the engineering that goes into that yeah. one it's so like, just the programming Unbelievable. it's millions of lines of code I'm sure okay so, moving to the top, usually you don't see the payload of a rocket because it's encased in something called a fairing. A fairing? Which protects it because the satellite is fragile. It's not meant to go through the G-forces that the rocket goes through at liftoff. So, it needs an aerodynamic protective shell around it, and that's what the fairing is. Mm. So, while the rocket is... Is it kind of like a heat shield when you come back down except... When you're exiting, is that what it is, or? It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like a heat shield for exiting the Earth for the satellite. I see. But not just a heat shield, but because also, if the satellite experienced any of that aerodynamic pressure, it's not built for that, so it it would immediately just crumble. Wow. So this payload, you said it's like a shell, so does it, like, pop open once it, like, uh, one of those, like, magic egg surprises that pop a toy open? Like, how does this work? So, once the rocket is far enough into space, mm -hmm. the guidance system will note that and the fairing will eject. So, some rockets have high fairing eject force, which means the fairing is just blasted out into space. And some, the fairing just kind of comes softly out. Kind of like a shell yeah. with two pieces, kind of like an eggshell breaking yeah, open, yeah. but with an open bottom that's connected to the rocket, I guess. It's crazy. Wow, such an amazing, I guess it makes sense though, right? Because you yeah. have such value there that you want something that can withstand the impact mm -hmm. and the intensity of the exit yeah. force. Got it. So payload, important. So that's the parts of regular rocket, but you know, rockets have many fuel tanks. And a big part of rocket you might be wondering is, you know, once the fuel tank is out, isn't that a bunch of dead mass for the rocket to lug around? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's if it's seventy five percent of the rocket, you basically have a you know giant part of wasted metal, I guess, right? Yeah. So what the rockets do is a technique called staging, and this is where the staging comes in. So the first stage contains the biggest engines and the most fuel because that has to do the dirty work of actually getting out of Earth's atmosphere. Got it. And just so we can keep with the pencil analogy, mm -hmm. if you're the pe pencil standing on its eraser. It's probably like one third of the pencils the first stage. Got it. And is the stage one at the very bottom? Yes. Okay. And usually a rocket has two stages, but spacecrafts like the Apollo 11 spacecraft have three, four stages. And if you're firing a space probe towards a far place, you'll probably have a cake stage that can kind of put it on a trajectory. But we're just going to focus on two stages because that's the most simple and the most common. Yep. And the second stage usually has a smaller engine, but as a result, it's more efficient, of course. Less fuel, but that it actually burns for longer because it's more efficient. Because the, the first stage engines are not efficient at all. They guzzle fuel. But the second stage engine, usually on a rocket, really saves fuel and can burn for a long time. Mm, more efficient. And can I ask you this? When you think of those two stages, does this first stage get us all the way out of the atmosphere, or is it still... First stage completes us out of the atmosphere, and in some cases, it can almost get us to orbit, but the second stage does all the finalizing. And usually, if you're cognizant about 
not leaving debris in space. After the second stage will detach from the satellite to, to let it stay in orbit and do its thing, it will point actually down towards Earth and do a, something that we call a deorbit burn, which basically means burning back against Earth and kind of slowing your speed down. So you get a trajectory where the second stage will burn up on the atmosphere instead of staying in debris around Earth. Mm, so basically, kind of burns itself to oblivion. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's better than making itself explode. Yeah, or better than putting trash out in the into space, I guess. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So those are the basic parts of a rocket. You've got right. your stages, your fuel tank, your guidance system, and your payload. Wow. Okay. But now we have all those parts still. How does a rocket get off the ground? Yeah, let's talk about how the sucker gets launched. And the trajectory of a rocket, too, because, you know, it has a lot to do after it gets launched, right? Yeah, that's true. All right. Let's talk about when this thing is moving. What happens? So we're really on the deep end now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so trajectory. So first, of course, if you've seen a rocket online launch or really in person, if you're lucky, of course, you notice the first part of the flight, which the gigantic engines of the first stage roar to life, making a super loud sound, and start guzzling fuel. And this is where Isaac Newton's laws of physics come in, right? Yeah, because you might have noticed that the engines start a few seconds before liftoff. Mm -hmm. And what this is doing is kind of using Isaac Newton's third law of science. Every action has its equal opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. And that third law of physics, it's using that to kind of catapult the rocket into the air because... You know, the rocket's pushing against the ground, and the ground is, in return, pushing the rocket up. So the, the, that is kind of catapulting the rocket up into the air and giving it an extra boost. Got it. And it needs it because gravity is pulling yeah. down on that sucker as hard as it yeah, can, it right? So. so once you're higher into the flight, the rocket's engines will continue pushing air towards the ground and towards the gravity forces and the forces that are coming down and up from the earth will have its equal opposite reaction and mm -hmm. push the rocket back up. Got it. Okay. And so the rocket starts something maybe a minute into flight that we call a gravity turn. What? Takes a U-turn? It's coming back home already? No, no. So a gravity turn is when a rocket starts gently pitching over to kind of once it's in space, it is actually traveling horizontally. Why would it do that? How is a horizontal rocket? Won't it just kind of keep flying around the, the globe? What happens? Well, yeah, that actually helps it get into orbit, which is a position that, can, that it can maneuver and stay in space without firing its engines at Got all. It. So it's not good enough just to go straight out of space. You want to go out of space but catch orbit. So yeah. you're trying to go... And the gravity turn, well, one, it keeps the aerodynamic stress out of a vehicle while still keeping your orbit circularized so you can get into a nice, slow, even orbit around the Earth instead of if you're traveling straight up, your, your altitude of the flight, the final altitude of the flight, just keeps raising. And as a result, you get a really high Earth orbit, and it's not very efficient with the fuel because you need to reach a certain speed to get orbit when you're going horizontal you can accumulate speed quicker mm, i see and you know at what point in time do they start making this gravity turn is it already when it gets outside of a certain no uh, it's about one minute into the flight wow it's pretty early so and the gravity turn takes a long time like 
the gravity turn will probably finish once the rocket's like T plus four minutes and 30 seconds into the flight. Got it. But that's a long period, and there's something very important that happens usually around the middle of that period. And that is called, if you're SpaceX, it's called Max-Q, but it's normally referred to as maximum dynamic pressure. And what does maximum dynamic pressure mean? It's the maximum amount of stress on the vehicle, aerodynamic stress on the vehicle. Okay, that sounds stressful. <laughs> so basically, that's the point at which the vehicle is undergoing the most forces against it, the most G-forces. So that right. means the air and the gravity is pressing down super hard on the vehicle. And for most flights, if you get past this, it's a big milestone. Because, you know, lots of rockets, if they're at this, if their second, first stage isn't working properly and performing at full level, they'll just get shot down back to the ground. Because the max Q's just, their air pressing so hard down on the rocket. It's a big milestone to get past. So once you pass max Q, is it easy sailing from there or is it? Well, that's the maximum point. So think of it as like a peak and a mountain. Then the the G-forces just start going down and they mm. kind of drop off at a cliff because you're almost out of Earth's atmosphere at max Q, so. Got it. So it, it literally for an astronaut, it's like, as soon as I get through max Q, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I covered how once the rocket's in orbit, it will detach from its payload, whether it's a crew module or um, a satellite, and it will come down, to, or the second stage will burn up. And maybe in the future, the second stage will learn how to land. Actually, you never talked about the landing. I see all these you know, SpaceX rockets. I see a lot of boosters coming down by themselves. And what part of the rocket is that? So the first stage, SpaceX learned how to propulsively land, which basically means it has some folding landing legs on it. And as soon as it's done its share, it still has some fuel in it. And this fuel will help it. It'll deorbit itself. It'll come back down to Earth. It doesn't, as a result, it doesn't go up very high, but the second stage is amazing. It'll get it into orbit fine but it'll actually go through and land on a drone ship or on land by firing its engine to slow down the descent and opening its landing legs. Wow, that is a pretty... It, I remember seeing it's usually those two boosters. There's a two or three that come down. Well, usually it's one, mm. but if you're the Falcon Heavy, it's really big. It's like a heavy version of the Falcon 9, and that one has three stages coming down. That's unbelievable. Looks so cool. And very, their very accuracy actually took a long time to earn. Mm -hmm. That's just such a hard milestone because you have to get the accuracy to land within like six meters. And you're talking about like a four, five-story tall rocket. So. <laughs> How do you land a skyscraper in the middle of the ocean on a tiny little drone ship, right? <laughs> yeah. That's unbelievable. And they've had people who try it have had so many fails. Like, for example, Blue Origin. I mean, their booster is tiny and they land it propulsively, but still, just yeah. to land a first stage propulsively, it's so hard. And I guess know, all space travel for that matter. I mean, we haven't talked about all the different missions yet, which I can't wait yeah. to talk about in a future episode, but they're filled with failures. Yeah. I mean, space travel in itself, there's probably, the you know, the success rate for the Apollo missions initially 
was 5%. Unbelievable. Yeah. But we still kept at it, right? I know. Well, I mean, each mission just barely dodged the bullet. Yeah. That each mission had a major problem that they just barely got around. That's unreal. Yeah, and, and I guess, I mean, you got to take risks mm-hmm. for space travel, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. the basic job of an astronaut is to take risks, yeah. right? It's true. And I want to end on a final note, which is that it doesn't matter your thrust. Like, it, you very well can have a good amount of thrust still, and it just matters your size. Because if you have a good amount of thrust, you're fine. You don't need a bunch of thrust. It matters the size because you can... The Saturn V is actually bigger than NASA's upcoming moon rocket, but the upcoming moon rocket has more thrust. The thing is, the Saturn V actually has more payload capabilities than the SLS, which is the upcoming moon rocket. So I just want to end that rockets, it doesn't matter the thrust. It matters the size and how big you make the payload bay, right? And how much you put into actually what the rocket's going to do rather than what the rocket can do. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I guess the size absolutely does matter in the rocket ships. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank my dad for joining me today. And You're I welcome, Yishan. Thank... It's a pleasure. It's a lot of fun. Learned a lot about rockets. Learned all about the parts and trajectories and launch launch acumen. It's been, uh, it's been fun. Thanks. And I want to thank you listeners for tuning in and listening to Rocket Science 101. So this is Space Kid Yishan signing off from My Galaxy to Yours.